0: Hello everybody and, and welcome to Dan Snow's History. I'm thrilled we've got Ian Mortimer on the podcast. He's an absolute legend. He's an independent scholar. He's a historian and he's written several best-selling books here in the UK and have done well all around the world as well. He's got a Time Traveller's Guide series where he takes to the medieval England, other periods as well, and he's written his most recent one on Regency. We're in, we're in the long 18th century now, folks. This is my favourite period, so I'm very, very excited to talk to the great man about this. If you enjoy Regency fashion, political ideas radicalism, scientific advances, etc. There's plenty of that kind of stuff on History Hit TV. If you go over to historyhit.tv, it's a new digital history channel, you can become a subscriber, which is awesome. You use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, because you're a podcast listener. We give you a month for free, so you can check the whole thing out for free. And then the second month, just $1, 1 euro, 1 pound for that entire month. I mean, it makes so much sense so head over there and do it. it's got all the back episodes of this podcast without ads on them you can go for all of your viewing and listening pleasure on there as those dark winter nights closing up here in the northern hemisphere and it gets too hot down south in the southern hemisphere so stay inside keep out of the sun it's bad for you watch history hit tv in the meantime everybody here is ian mortimer Ian, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Well,
1: thank you very much for having me.
0: This is long overdue, one of Britain's best-selling, most famous historians. Apologies not having on you before, but you're a generalist. You know everything about everything, but we're
1: yeah. going to talk about the Regency table. I never had you down as a Regency kind of guy. This is really pushing me to the extremes of where I'm comfortable. I, mean, I love the Regency, I and mean, I've always loved the Regency, having grown up in a household in which sat at a Regency table on Regency chairs. and you know, So it was part of our life, and it was where my family's consciousness sort of started. So we still had discussions around the dinner table when I was small about what we did in 1817 or what we did in 1825. And so it was very present with me. So I really wanted this to be the sort of most modern probably I could write of a time traveller's guide. But even so, the thing about a time traveller's guide is you have to pretend to know everything. I mean, I'm a professional historian. I need to know the limits of my evidence. And therefore, it's really testing to try and write about... This period is if you really can go there, and it's by far the hardest thing I've ever done.
0: I've got to ask you, though, what were you doing in the Regency? That's very
1: exciting, your family's sense of its history there. Well, the Mortimers uh, were living in Plymouth. They were making their way up from being lower middle class. They were using their skills as uh, dyers, cleaners. This is actually really interesting because historically, as you know, Men never wash anything. It's always women's work in every operation of life. Women always do the cleaning. But then, as towns started to sort of get urbanized in the, the 1810s, 1820s, it starts to be a sort of thing that men can take a business pride in and they start to look at the washing industry, cleaning generally, as being something that perhaps. They can profit from, and therefore a few bold ones venture into this world of women's work, except they never call it cleaning. They never call it washing. They use everything else. They're, they call themselves dyers. They call themselves sort of reupholsterers, whatever it is. And that's what my lot were doing. They were using their skills as fullers and traditional skills and just got into the dyeing business and the cleaning business. And as the railways took off, they cleaned up, funnily enough. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, but it was actually a, my three greats' grandmother who really got the whole thing off the ground. She was the business brains. That's
0: very cool. I've got some goldsmiths in the late 18th, early 19th centuries, and I've got nothing around at all from those days. I'm very (laughs) not to say.
1: I know, but how cool to have goldsmiths.
0: So let's talk about Regency. It was one of those weird things about the names of periods that some some just stick and are sort of more famous than others. But I mean, are you literally just sticking to the period when the future George IV assumed the
1: Regency when his father was disabled, George III? No, I'm doing the long Regency because I'm much more interested in culture than I am the politics. So for me, the culture is the period from the French Revolution through to the point at which the English government could no, or British government could no longer resist the forces of change I would have gone up to 1832, but I called a halt at George IV's death in the summer of 1830. George IV was really the character who was doing more to stop change and reform in the 1820s than anyone else. So his death opened the chance for Lord Grey to get back into power and therefore bring forward the reform bill, which was much needed. But it's the culture of that period, 41 years from the French Revolution, and it's the number of changes that come out of the French Revolution, that was the second biggest surprise I had at the whole thing. But yeah, I, I just loved reading about the period uh, and imagining being there.
0: The Time travelers' guys that you write, the whole point is it's just its totally immersive. Have there ever been things when you're like, I just don't know what dog collars look like? And if so, is the Regency period just full
1: of lovely sources? Yes, it is full of lovely sources. If there's something I really don't know that I have to put in... I will do an educated guess and you'll get a damn great big footnote in. I mean, all my books have got hundreds and hundreds of footnotes. If it's something that I don't know, that I don't feel is essential or delightful or entertaining or interesting, then I will leave it out. I mean, the thing is, with all these books, I write them twice the length and then cut them down. So, I mean, the first draft of this was 225,000 words. And the, the editor said, look, got to be realistic 150,000 is the maximum we're going to uh, tolerate so therefore there was a lot of arguing as usual and then they said if you don't cut it we'll bring in somebody who will which is of course the biggest incentive to me to get my red pen out so all these things have to be honed down and you're left with things that I'm confident about which are interesting which are entertaining revelatory and structural in understanding how society comes about and you, you mentioned the word immersive absolutely because although on the face of it a time traveler's guide is a very easy way of learning about the past the real drive and the power of them comes from you juxtaposing your values and experiences with the past which is something i'm really proud of doing because most academics never touch this subject they just never go there and therefore you have 18th century academics all at sea when it comes to slavery i mean judging people by their own standards well, you can't do that and make it meaningful to modern-day society. You have to bring in our standards when you're discussing slavers because the audience needs to have these juxtapositions. So A Time Traveller's Guide is, yeah, it's 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 great fun and immersive, but also I hope it's really going to provoke some questions and some thought at a deeper level. So we're the time travellers. We've left
0: behind Elizabethan England and Medieval England, of your previous books. We've arrived in the Regency period, one of the things that you think we'd find most unfamiliar, apart from the
1: fabulous male fashion? <laughs> oh, and female fashion. Come on, you, you've got to think, look at those muslin dresses of the first decade of the 19th century and think, fwoar. No, I, could,
0: I, enough, I, I completely agree with that. I just think women still dress very well today, whereas men dress in the most boring suits
1: imaginable. So that the- Again, it's one of these consequences of the French Revolution. I mean, how do you dress with elegance, with style, If people who are demonstrating their elevated position in society and their taste are getting their heads cut off, you can't actually operate in the same way. The French arbiters of fashion in the 1790s very quickly pick up onto the practicality of clothing and the importance of being seen to act and clothing that supports action rather than status. And Bo Brummel is the man who realises how this can be brought in line with English values, understatement, refinement, elegance, not showiness. And so Bo Brummel brings in trousers and he gets rid of breeches and he has fastidious ideas about dress, which are absolute cleanliness, no more sort of unwashedness for a gentleman. You've got to be clean. You've got to have perfectly cut clothes, trousers, everything. If you want shiny buttons they should be made of brass not gold or silver and so he's turning against all that showiness and I think we should be grateful for this revolution because it does put the emphasis back on what you do and what you say rather than who you are in society status wise so yeah I take it that our clothing has got a lot more dour and boring but I think also it's enhanced the individual
0: You know what? Funnily enough, I'm not sure I agree. I would love to dress like a dandy, a late 8th century. Anyway, what would you find most extraordinary as we hit the mean
1: streets of the Regency period? Well, the thing that would really strike you all the way through wherever you went is the extremes of society. Now, at the bottom end of society, you have plenty of people who are homeless. And that's true often of societies. But the degrees of poverty and the degrees of want are so extreme. And if you want to measure this in a way across the whole of the last thousand years, I looked at life expectancy at birth of the poorest section of society in the industrial towns and compared it to the wealthiest. Now, if you look all the way through the last thousand years, in Middle Ages, your peasant could expect to live about 85 to 90% as long as the aristocrat. In the Elizabethan period, even when people were living longer into their 40s, life expectancy at birth, Again, the peasantry were living about eighty five to ninety percent as long. Today, in the modern world, our life expectancy at birth, if you're in the poorest areas of the country, most deprived areas, it's eighty five to ninety percent of life expectancy at birth in those living in the richest. In the Regency, none of this eighty five to ninety percent, it's below fifty. In London, it's fifty percent. Life expectancy at birth in Ashton under Lyne, in the streets without sewers, was thirteen. 13! Now, I can't get my head around that. You know, it just... The levels of deprivation. The whole of Liverpool, the third or fourth biggest city in the town in the country, life expectancy at birth for the working classes was 16. I mean, the levels of poverty and the crowdedness in the courts of Liverpool... It would come as a big shock to anybody who can't imagine deprivation on that level in this country. It's far worse than anything we had in the Middle Ages, far worse than anything the Restoration or the, the, the Elizabethan periods. Um, so i would never really been prepared historically for the depths of deprivation in the Industrial Revolution. And I would defy anybody not to be shocked by that. And that would have been very visible. It would have been very, very obvious. No, you've smelt it. You've smelt the i mean, the, the, the sewage in these overcrowded areas. I mean, in the 1790s, there were areas of Liverpool with 700 people per acre. And yet Manchester and London would have seemed very small to us, would they, in terms of our ability to walk across them? About a tenth of the population there is today, but obviously much more crammed in and much more densely populated. Your experience of a city would be on a different scale. I think that the one thing you would take away from the Regency more than anything else was the extremes of opulence and the extremes of want. What do you think would have felt enduring and familiar? In, in fact,
0: on the whole, would the time traveller have felt at home or in a, in a completely weird
1: parallel universe, do you think, when they land? Depends how much money you've got. Let's say you're middle of the road, middle class. You're going to land pretty much on your feet, I think, because... You'll be familiar with the debates that are happening. You'll very quickly become aware of movements for, for example, the abolition of slavery, the position of women's society. So a lot of these debates, which are still with us today, about racism, treatment of minorities, are very much on the agenda there. Again, this is another thing that comes out of the French Revolution in a big way. Now, I don't think that's true of the 17th century or earlier. Would you have seen people on the streets with physical and mental health problems on the mental health side of things this is very interesting because this is the period where everything starts to change at the beginning of this period you had what three or four mental health hospitals in the whole country You had bedlam most famously in london one in manchester and the york retreat in the 1790s and it was the york retreat that really set the pattern for um, how things should be brought within the realms of care a bedlam in 1800 you'd have found hundreds of people literally chained up In fact, everybody would have been chained up, men and women, just with an overgown to protect them, nothing to hide their modesty, left to soil themselves on heaps of straw, the public entertained at a price of a shilling so they could go and see them, absolutely despicable, treated like animals.' But by 1816, Bedlam had been rebuilt and its inmates were no longer chained up. And arguably the most important piece of medical legislation there has been was in this period, 1815, the Apothecaries Act, which brought in a standard form of medical education for all GPs. So you've got huge changes on the medical front. Eye hospitals, ear hospitals, hospitals to help with contagious illnesses. All of these things are getting off the ground in this period.
0: Are we in the middle of a revolution in the countryside as well? Would it look very different to kind of medieval village community strip farming? What about coal mines? I mean, Ironbridge Gorge, for example.
1: I mean, the Industrial Revolution is underway, frankly, before anywhere else in the world here. When we're talking about Industrial Revolution, we must remember that it's about industry. It's not about mechanisation. Profit is the power driver. So long before you've got steam engines powering the mills, you've got water and you've got hundreds, thousands of people inhabiting these or working in. Yeah, practically inhabiting these huge, great buildings in the north. I mean, some of them still stand in Manchester. I'm sure you're familiar with the ones along the canal there. Uh, Ten storeys high, 130 feet long. 24 hours the extremes of england at this time are as i say bewildering because you've got on the one hand the garden of eden and on the other hand people working around the clock women and children in mines and no social care of that sort no prevention of industrial accidents or Ill, industrial ill health at this period
0: were they consciously aware
1: of the enormous changes that were
0: going on in the landscape their society or or do you think we all feel like we're living through enormous
1: change Excellent question. One of my favourite questions to answer. I I really like this whole thing because until the French Revolution, people weren't really that aware of change. I mean, they understood that change was going on from the 16th century when they could see ruined abbeys, which had once have been uh, thriving centres, and ruined castles, etc. But people never realised that things were moving faster until we get to this French Revolution period. And then suddenly... Everybody realises that, hang on, what was normal 10 years ago is no longer normal. And that's economically, socially, in terms of how you deal with political questions, dress even. In fact, there's a fantastic book, supposedly written by a Spaniard, but it's actually written by Robert Southey, the poet laureate. And he describes England as if he were a Spaniard going around the place. And he says that surely no country has ever undergone so much change as Britain has since 1760. He looks back to the beginning of The Reign, because he's writing in 1803. The book was published in 1807. says that without a violent revolution, no country can ever have undergone so much change as, as England has done. He's really the first person, I think, within an English context, who describes that... Change is getting faster, and I think every generation since then has believed it has seen more change than any other, largely because of technology, of course, but he really puts this sort of uh, marker down that surely no country has seen as much change as England has since 1760. I think we need to be very careful, because the changes of the modern world, in terms of perception of the way we live our lives and the the physical things we do, turning on lights or whatever it is, cooking, yeah, we've seen a bewildering number of changes, but how do we compare these with the changes of say the sixteenth century, where you know you 've got religious changes which might mean very little to us, where religion doesn 't change very much, but for them, most important thing in their lives, it was hugely important well really devastating. Well, you know, the Black Death. I mean the Black Death didn't just come along and kill half the population. It disrupted society to so much, to such a great extent. You, know, you don't know whether God wants you to live or die. You know, you don't know whether you're doing the right thing in God's eyes. You don't know whether the craft you were brought up to to operate all your life is what you really should be doing, or do you do something else? Do you sell your labour at another manorial lord? What is the name of the book? The book is The Time Traveller's Guide to Regency Britain. It's the fourth in the sequence. All of which are about if you really could travel there, where you're gonna stay, what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, which diseases might kill you, which doctors might kill you, and in this period the quacks may well do so. And and basically what are you gonna to do to have fun when you're in this strange place?
0: Thank you very much, Ian Mortimer. Everyone's saying thank you on the live stream, so that's great. Really, really kind of you. Thank you, Ian, and good luck with the book. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just a quick favour to ask while you're here, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you could possibly, you don't want to ask, I'm sorry for doing it, but if you could go to wherever you get your podcast, give it a rating, five stars, little review, glowing, then the algorithm will be happy with us. The algorithm that controls our destinies will smile upon us and give forth its bounty. We'll go up the charts. People find the podcast easier. Lots of people listen, and that's really good. So thank you so much for listening, and really appreciate the favor. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from rust Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.